Hello and welcome to Active Listeners with Mike and Shane. Each week, we will discuss our lives, our goals, and our expectations as artists, as well as discuss what it is to be an artist. Performers, visual artists, and musicians. Mike and I, we want to talk to you, and we want to talk to you about what you do, why you do it, and what that art really means to you. We'll have guests to discuss artistic expression and the all-around nature of the artist's lifestyle. And try to answer that question. Is there a de facto artist lifestyle? Please follow us on Twitter and Facebook and join us in the conversation. Thank you. Are we on your show or are you on we're our show? We're all on, a, we're on each other's shows. So like the beginning is shows. like our show. Jocelyn, and I was then... also confused by that for a long time. So let's do this. Let's do a quick opening, introducing each other to each other's audiences. And then we'll dive in. Hi, everyone. My name is Jocelyn. I'm the brunette. We've got Carly here. She's the blonde. Hi. And we do have Katie, the redhead, but she's lurking. She's in the shadows somewhere. We're not quite sure. Um, she's working for the man. And as soon as she's off work, she'll be with us. So uh, we are the three ladies, the blonde, the brunette, and the redhead of Straight Up Evil. We are a true crime podcast. We're very pleased to be here this evening with the Active Listeners podcast, who are going to introduce themselves now. Hey, everybody. I'm Mike. And I am Shane. Welcome to Active Listeners with Mike and Shane. Featuring. Featuring. Straight Up Evil. evil. (laughs) So our podcast is a little different. Our podcast, uh, we interview artists uh, about the artist's experience, also about topics that are important to us and society abroad. So thank you, Carly. Jocelyn, Katie, for joining us for this episode. And without too much more ado, we're going to let Carly take it away for this special crossover episode. Okay. Today we're talking about Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, featuring one of my favorite time times ever the 40s because everyone's (laughs) fantastic looking and it's terrible because it's a world war but everyone looks great so the fashion you cannot beat the fashion you can't beat it you can't beat it just can't so we're january 15th 1947 we're in los angeles california betty bersinger is taking her three-year-old daughter for a walk in the neighborhood 10 a.m just having a nice little daily walk And as they're walking along, they see a few feet from the sidewalk, um, Betty notices something in the grass and thinks it's a discarded mannequin. And spoiler alert, our uh, straight up evil people will know it's never a mannequin. You will never find a mannequin on the side of the road. So active listener Uh, podcast people out there, take note, it is never a mannequin. I wish it was, but it's not. So upon closer look, she realizes it is actually a woman's corpse and she runs to a nearby house to call the police. Though the body has been scrubbed clean, it has been severely mutilated. It's cut clean in half at the waist. It's drained of all its blood. The lower half of the body is a foot away from the top half. Um, There are several cuts around the thighs and the breasts with entire pieces of flesh missing. Shane can't take it already. I I I can't just it. it's so I read all of this because you put it together and I and I dove deep. I read articles, I listened to other podcasts. I'm gonna have nightmares for weeks because of you guys. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm not yeah. even done. I know. So the pieces of flesh are missing, the intestines are tucked under the body, and the face has been cut from mouth to ears, known as like the Glasgow smile. Apparently that's a thing, which is very sad to me. The body was also posed with its hands over its head. The elbows were bent at a 90 degree angle and the legs were spread apart. But because the body was drained of blood, there's also no blood at the, at the scene. So that indicates that the murder happened somewhere else. We are such assholes, Carla. Uh, wait a minute. Do you guys swear on your show? Oh, we, 
occasionally do and we just put an e at the top of the episode make it explicit and we're fine oh well i would put maybe threes at the top of this episode <laughs> we'll, we'll because it just it just comes out we're i just can't believe that we didn't bring this up in the gainesville ripper carly this is so yes. similar i can't even because we've never done one this old before that's true you know what i mean so we weren't mm-hmm. it wasn't even on our radar really but yeah right. we definitely should have brought it up so Betty calls the police, the LAPD arrive, and a lot of people are starting to gather around the scene because what else are you going to do in the neighborhood in the 40s? Like, they're just, they need to know what's going on. Um, so oh, and they didn't have the internet, so they, they literally had to go outside and talk to people. It was a simpler time. So people are all around, they're all looking at what's going on. Detectives find a heel print on the ground near some tire tracks, as well as some watery blood in a cement sack. So the FBI are called in also to help. Um, the LAPD are able to get a fingerprint from the body and they send it to the FBI via sound photo, which was a primitive fax machine at the time, which was just sending photos through the phone. I kind of just want to do a whole episode on this machine. <laughs> I like need to know like how it works. I need to see it happen. Like I need it because I just can't. So um, they ran the prints through the database, the database of 104 million fingerprints that they had on file at the time. And 56 minutes later, they got a hit. And the body belongs to 22-year-old Elizabeth Short, an aspiring actress who was arrested a few years prior for underage drinking. Shame, so, for shame. I mean, how dare she? How Look, dare That's you, what I girl. mean. The, the little bit of research that I was doing before we started all this, I was like, why are they shaming this young woman that was medically cut in half? Dude, this whole case is all about shame. This whole, Not only that, this whole but case. What was what was even the drinking age in 1940s? Wasn't it like 12? I don't know. You couldn't drink if you if you weren't actively being led around on a leash by your husband. Like that was the rule. Like you couldn't you couldn't have a drink and you shouldn't be seen with a drink in your hand unless you also had a baby in your other hand. I don't know. It was something like that. Yeah, this whole case was made to be a spectacle in an awful way. Mm. Coincidentally, real quick, you could also be married at 12 when when it was the 40s. So there's right, right. All of that makes a lot of sense. Yes. (laughs) So, (laughs) so who was Elizabeth Short? She was born um, July 29th, 1924, in Boston. She was the third daughter out of five born to Cleo and Phoebe Short. So just think about like having five girls in your family. I I was raised by mostly women, five, six, seven of them all around, all the time. No, thank you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just no. So Cleo Short, um, Elizabeth's father, he built miniature golf courses until the 1929 stock market crash when the family lost all of their money. He did not take that very well. So the following year, um, his car would be found abandoned on the Charlestown Bridge. And it was presumed that he had committed suicide by jumping off the bridge. Elizabeth was very small at this point. So, you know, she doesn't really remember him, but it was, you know, nonetheless a tragedy in their family. Spoilers presumed. Presumed. I mean, foreshadowing a little bit. So Elizabeth was a little bit older. She got diagnosed with asthma and bronchitis, um, which caused her very severe asthma attacks. So by the time she was 15 years old, she had to have lung surgery. And due to her poor health, she would spend the winters in Florida with family friends and then come back to Boston for the rest of the year. I would like to do this also. During this time, Elizabeth Reporty grew an affinity for the cinema and often liked to watch movies because she couldn't really go out. She couldn't do much. She liked to sit around watching movies. So 1942, Elizabeth was happy um, living with her four sisters and her mother, you know, most of the time, but dropped out of high school her sophomore year unsure of what she wanted to do with her life. Um, At this time, Elizabeth's mother, Phoebe, received a letter from her husband, Cleo, who was in fact not dead. He was alive and well, living a new life in California. He had written the letter as an apology for up and leaving his entire family. Um, Elizabeth was just happy to, he was alive. And like, just like, just leave what? it alone. Like, f- like, you know, like, you know, fuck your apology. Like, it, like, it would, years no, later. like, just leave it alone. Like you like, did it. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I ran out to get cigarettes that one time and never came back. 
Sorry about See? that. See, Carly, Sorry, this is this is Sorry. Carly's thing right here. Like, just you know, just do that. Just do that, and just don't do this. Don't yeah, do as it. long you know, fine. Like, I'm just happy he didn't murder them all. True. Instead, that's true. He just left. The, the 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 car abandoning like suicide thing was a little much, but dramatic. Yeah, he's not the dramatic. tragedy of this story. So. So anyway, he'd written the letter as apology. I would love to have read that letter. I would love to know what it says. But he apologized, and apparently Elizabeth thought that was fine. So she was happy he was alive, and once she turned 18, she moves to California to live with her father, even though she had not seen him in 12 years. So she moves in with her dad, but unsurprisingly, it doesn't go too well, and she soon moves out because they're arguing all the time. They are not getting along. They're basically strangers, so... Yeah. Who wouldn't want to do that? So she said she moved to Santa Barbara with friends um, where she was arrested for underage drinking and sent home to Boston. They just can, like, can you imagine the idea that you as an 18 year old could just like move to Santa Barbara real quick? Like Oprah lives in Santa Barbara. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just like, it's just such a different time. Such I'm just going to go live with my friends in Santa Barbara. Just real quick. Like amazing. So she gets in trouble. They send her back to Boston, but she doesn't go to Boston. She goes to Florida instead. She's like, I'm not, not, not dealing with that. While she's in Florida, she meets her first love, Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr., who was an Army Air Force officer. They hit it off, but he ends up having to go. He gets um, deported. Deported. Oh, my God. What's the word? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He got deported. <laughs> no, that's canon now. He got deported. Oh, oh my God. God. What's the word, guys? I'm really struggling. Discharge. No, he went. No, to he went. He got the sent. War. Deployed. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Gotcha. Four adults Terrible. in this podcast right now. <laughs> wow. He gets deployed, but he proposes to Elizabeth via letter. He sends her a letter and it proposes to her, and she agrees. But it doesn't go too well because unfortunately he dies um, in a plane crash a week before. World War II ends. Yeah, wasn't it like uh, right at the end? Like, like he right almost, at yeah. the end. Yeah, that that's uh, kind of puts a hamper on the uh, the, the marriage plans. So sad. So like she's already gone through a lot in her life. Can you imagine though, if she got a letter like twelve years later that was like <laughs> I didn't really die though. I guess we'll never know. She didn't make it that long. That's true. That is true. Maybe she, uh, Shane. They say, they say I know, you end up right? With your father, right? Women end up with their dads. So That's that true. Would, that would be definitely on brand. Right. That's so sad. It is. We'll never know. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. July. <laughs> so July from 1946, she ends up moving back to California. She goes to stay um, in LA with to visit with her friend, Army Air Force Lieutenant Joseph Gordon Flicking, who she had met in Florida when she was hanging out with Matthew. Also, can you just say that name one more time? Because I giggled when I read it, so. Just the flicking part or just the whole (laughs) thing? The whole thing. (laughs) It's so good. Lieutenant Joseph Gordon Flicking. So she gets a job as a waitress, and this is when people start saying that she is, you know, trying to become an actress. She's, She's out there. Why not? She loves the movies. She has the looks. Everyone said she was so beautiful, which she really was. But she's, you know, just hanging out and having a good time. So 1947, she begins dating a married salesman named Robert Red Manley. And it was Red that dropped her off at the Biltmore Hotel, where Elizabeth was supposed to meet her sister on January 9th, 1947. Staff said they, she used the lobby telephone and then left and went to the Crown Grill Cocktail Lounge. So this seems to be the last time that anyone saw Elizabeth alive. A week later, Betty Bersinger would find her mangled corpse on the side of the road. So once she's identified through the fingerprint, um, reporters from the Los Angeles Examiner call Elizabeth's mother, Phoebe, to tell her that Elizabeth has won a beauty contest. This gets me so angry. It gets me so mad. After speaking with Phoebe and prying as much information about Elizabeth as they can, then do they finally tell her that Elizabeth has been murdered. So not even the authorities have told her, just some random reporters that are trying to get information. 
and how Great meta is that she's like a performer <laughs> like her daughter was a performer and her mom's being performed at it's so disgusting it's so crazy and like an ongoing, ongoing theme for for this for straight up evil from what i what i hear listening is that nobody knows what the hell who knows what when they know it or when is the appropriate time to tell someone that their daughter is dead like or like oh let me just call this woman <laughs> as a reporter which which wasn't unheard of then I, this is something that happens a lot even currently where reporters will be like pretend to be someone else but like it's it's just like fascinating like how much of that how much that happened honestly it just i just really don't like reporters sometimes like how they're portrayed in movies and stuff they're so pushy and aggressive and like this just like proves it to me and i just hate it i just feel so bad for her mother well was it the was it the the newspaper that called her and lied or was it the police department that called and lied it was the newspaper oh i misunderstood that part yeah. okay so they okay. call her they lie they call her and lie and say yeah. she's won a beauty contest tell me all about her so we can write up a little blurb and then they go actually just kidding she's dead and not only dead she's been murdered like it's definitely murder you know it's just so sad yeah. So after they lie and they, you know, they come clean with the horrible truth, they then offer to pay for Phoebe's airfare and accommodations to fly her out to LA to help with the police investigation. But they only do this to keep their scoop. They keep, they do it so they know where she is, keep her away from all the other newspapers and everything else, and they can have the breaking news, which is adds to my fury. So this is when the press begins to sensationalize the story and like all the newspapers are saying all these different crazy things about Elizabeth and they dub her the Black Dahlia due to her alleged penchant for dark clothing. And after a film noir murder mystery that was out at the time called The Blue Dahlia. Veronica Lake is in it and I love her and she's beautiful and gorgeous and I, it's just such a good one. Like the, they're awful people for doing what they did, but the analogy to the movie was so spot on. I also heard that there was a, I don't know if it was like a corner store or something that she used to go to in the area where like, where like that was a nickname that she would, that they would be like, oh, there's the Black Dahlia. Like it was like a, some sort of term of, I don't know. It's a, it's something that's definitely been canceled in 2021, whatever it was going on in that moment but like it it um it's it was like yeah like a very uh spot on nickname she reminds me of rita hayworth like yes. big time Love yeah it. she's so pretty so Definitely. so pretty i've never seen the blue dahlia i'll have to do that um so like once they're calling her the black dahlia she's everywhere she's on the front page of many newspapers for months after this has happened so an autopsy is done on elizabeth's body like we said before there were multiple lacerations on her face and her head. There was a crisscross pattern um, over her pubic area and her pubic hair had been removed by hand, it says, which in the forties, I'm assuming that means that they think that the killer did it and not just she did it herself. So that adds like a whole nother element of terrible. It does. Removed by hand. No, I have to know what this means. Like isn't all pubic hair removed by hand? Do they mean that he just like tore it out? Like what? What's happening? And I say he, yeah. but yeah, he tore it out. I would yeah, say that sounds like a violent act. Yeah, yeah, because like the whole poor woman hasn't been through enough. Um, so though it may, it was thought that she may have been raped. There is no sperm on the body that was found due to the body having been washed. So we don't really know for sure. With gasoline, correct? Yes, so it was washed first, and then everything was rinsed in gasoline. Which is relevant. And we'll, and we'll get back yeah. to later, because it continues. So it did seem that, um, to the medical examiner, that most of the damage done to the body had occurred post-mortem, include her being cut in half. So that's a small positive part to the story. Um, the official cause of death was hemorrhage and shock due to the lacerations on her face and a concussion that she had suffered. So the investigation begins, but detectives have differing opinions for a suspect. Um, one of the investigators really believed it was a stranger to Elizabeth who just like caught her unawares and did this horrible act. 
But the other detective believes that it was someone she knew well, because mostly the lacerations to the face really seem like a personal touch, like anything done to a body's, like a corpse's face, you know, a victim's face, it always seems to be personal in nature in some way. And the way that the body was posed could have meant that the killer wanted revenge against Elizabeth, like to ruin her reputation because maybe she, you know, refused him or her or whatever, but it's most likely a him. Maybe she, you know, let him on or he thought she let him on, you know, who knows? Apparently there were some interviews with some of Elizabeth's family who claimed her to be like a 23 year old and a 15 year old's body. As far as like maturity level, she was like very naive and very trusting in that way. So it, it also could have been just an honest, like someone being like, Hey, I can help you. And her sure. I'll walk into the bushes with you. Plus it was the forties. So, you know, it was a more innocent time. Like that could have been yeah. very, very well could have would have happened. You know what I mean? Who knows? January 23rd, the newspaper, The Examiner, receives an anonymous call from a man claiming to be Elizabeth's killer. He said he was unhappy with how the crime was portrayed in the news because they cared. Because vanity, yeah. So the next day, the newspaper receives a package that contains a letter of magazine clippings, Elizabeth's birth certificate, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen on it. Hansen was a friend of Elizabeth's, and he initially became the prime suspect. That same day, Elizabeth's purse and a shoe would be found in a trash can near where her body had been found. Um, Over time, more letters would arrive to multiple LA newspapers, all of which were made out of newspaper or magazine clippings. So none of them were handwritten. They were all just cut out clippings for the letters. And interesting little tidbit about that. So that's a very like super common trope. The, the hand, like the cut out letters to write a letter so you can mm-hmm. remain anonymous. This mm-hmm. is actually the first recorded case of that happening. This is sort of the case that launched the trope. Mm. So I think that's pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So um, when I arrive, one letter said, quote, I will give up in Dahlia killing in 10 years. Don't try to find me. I love how people like really think they were going to do that. Yeah. Like, we'll just, okay, we'll just, we'll cool on it for now. This is all, yeah, this is ridiculous. Like, you know. It's about control, right? Like, they want to, he wants to control if this alleged person is a person. He wants to control the way the story is being reported. They want to control, you know, when they're revealed, if they're revealed at all. It's the various ways they mass you know masticate the corpse like it's just yeah and i feel like we see that a lot just the control issues they always have major major control issues one way or another so all the letters that had been sent were forwarded onto the police for analysis and like we said before they were all rinsed in gasoline so there were no fingerprints on anything everything in the package was rinsed in gasoline her birth certificate the address book everything rinsed in gasoline Um, So there would be many anonymous tips called in, but nothing really led to any usable leads. Um, And many of them were hoaxes, which, again, makes me so sad. Like, stop wasting their time, you know? But we see this, like, all the way with Jack the Ripper. Like, most people don't even believe that every, like, that any, any correspondence that he ever made was actually him. You know, like, with the Zodiac as well. You know, like, all this correspondence and no one... you know because it could be anyone that's really interesting like the like there's a famous murderer out there and someone wants to play games but they're not necessarily the same person like people are constantly inserting themselves into investigations especially like in this time when like we said there's not a whole hell of a lot going on for um, in terms of entertainment um so they're they're you know like always inserting themselves into the situation. All right. So we've, we've heard a lot about this murder. Now I have a question for the hosts of straight up evil to tie in a little active listener into your horror stories. Why, why murder? Why this, this gruesome, such a gritty topic? Why did you choose to, to put, shine light on this. 
Uh, <laughs> um, well, what a question. Carly, you want to start? <laughs> well, first of all, I do want to say really quick, I do still have a little bit left of the story. So I didn't know if you wanted to do that now or you want to wait till the very end. Oh, go for it. Okay. I just wanted to make sure, put it out there. Because I only have like one paragraph left. So the only thing that police were certain of was that the murderer must have had a history in medicine. Um, the manner in which the body was cut in half was a medical technique that, that was taught in the 1930s called hemicorporectomy which was um, a way of cutting between the second and third lumbar vertebra. So this could not have been done so well by someone without any medical experience. So Mark Hansen was ruled out, as was Robert Red Hanley, um, whose alibis checked out, and they both didn't have any medical training. So the LAPD got a warrant for the University of Southern California Medical School to check out all of the medical students enrolled in the program. By December 1948, the police had 192 suspects in total, but had come up with nothing. Um, but since it was such a notorious case, about 60 people over the years would end up confessing to the murderer, to the murder, but only 22 of those would be listed as true viable suspects. And like it keeps changing. Like even in like 2013, they had written people off and put a couple of new suspects on. So like they're still to this day trying to figure it out yeah um so there were many theories which i could have gone on for another hour and a half just delving into the crazy theories about what they think actually happened um but most notably was a connection to a local child's murder they thought maybe a serial killer was involved they thought maybe it was a police cover-up which was interesting and i had to put it in there maybe it was aliens jocelyn could be we don't know for fact that it wasn't aliens. No, we do not. So we may never know who killed Elizabeth Short, but the case remains unsolved to this very day. Um, I also have story. I also have one of those theories of uh, who it could be, but we're going to mix in a little uh, active listeners into your straight up evil. And uh, we have a question for the hosts of, of why murder? Why gruesomely terrifying, bloody horrifying disturbing murder why why death why did you decide why did three lovely ladies such as yourself decide to shine light on such a dark subject because we get murdered one in five women will be the victim of a violent crime in their lifetime uh it just happens to us more than anyone else and so we just, it's important to look at it and be aware of it beyond the fact that it is like the ghost in the darkness. It, it's incredibly interesting to learn how people get to this point and also to learn how we as human beings just like process it happening. I mean, I, I always think when we cover cases like, oh my God, the victim's family might listen to this and be like, you know, these girls don't know what they're talking about. Or that, you know, they didn't consider this, 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 and this, or what, whatever it is. Like, I always think what, what it must be like to be a member of the victim's family and hear someone talking about the crime. But as someone who is not part of the victim's family, we're witnesses to this. It happens all around us. And so part of it is just like getting it out there and talking about it. Carly, I mean, Carly knows how many cases have we covered where people kill someone because they don't talk about the awkward thing. So like we're like we're talking about the we're talking about the this this is fucked up that people we're do talking this about to each all other. the fucked up shit that goes like we're just, <laughs> like we're just we're talking about it. Like we're going to we're going to talk about it. It's true. It happens. We're talking about it. You mentioned you mentioned the uh, the families and and how they might react or react. And I don't know how much if any I, I do know just a little inside baseball because I'm Carly's husband that there's some unsolved active cases that you guys talk about specifically people have begun to reach out to you to talk about these cases as well and it's interesting because before that started happening carly would tell me about the next case that you're that she was you know investigating or something crazy about something that you or katie sent her and i'd be like wow that's an active case why 
why are you doing that one? And like, aren't you worried? Like the families are not going to be cool with that. And it's interesting because it seems to me and tell me your, your guys' perspective, it seems to me that no, they just want someone talking about it to like yeah. get it out. And it's also important, like while we do have fun on the podcast, like we're free friends talking about it, we also try our best to be like sensitive to the fact and like we're really trying to champion the victims and the victims' families versus we're not championing the killer any at any time. You know what I mean? We're mm-hmm. we're trying to get the facts out there, you know, and, and we do cover solved cases. We do cover cases that have been, you know, tied up with a neat little bow and everything's clean. But in those unsolved cases, it's just so important to get it out there because literally at any point, one person might overhear something and be like, oh, you know what? That reminds me, I was there that day and I saw this or whoever, or wasn't my friend there that one time? It could get anybody, you know, one little piece of information could lead to a solve. Yeah. I was sort of curious if any of you had uncovered something new when you guys, when you all sort of dive into this. I just want to know if like you like broke out a case, like did, yeah, did someone listen to, did someone what? listen like, to your podcast and be like, yeah, that's, I, I can't believe I didn't think about that. And all of a sudden you like, you help solve a murder. That's the goal. Okay. I cool. think, I okay. think that that's goal, definitely sure. the goal. Like that's definitely part of it. Oh yeah. But like, we've definitely, we, I mean, all of our, all of our cases that are still like technically open or maybe technically not entirely solved. Like they, we all have our own theories about how that shit went down or like exactly what, like Israel keys is the first thing that comes to mind. Like we spent two episodes being like, yeah, but did he really do that though? And like, like sort of dissecting and that's, that's part of the fun of it. And something that Dawson's really great at is like always bringing in the synchronicities for other cases, other possible killers, other somehow tying it into something else that it could very well be the case. We just don't know for sure, but she's really good at picking those up. Oh, Carly. They're all connected somehow. They are. They are. It's a phenomenon. Kind of leading into that then you're talking about them all being connected and kind of topically your whole show is a you know is it's a murder true crime podcast what have you learned kind of getting less into the subject matter and more about running a podcast what have you learned about your audience in terms of how you interact with them and also how they interact with what you guys are presenting um true crime people uh have a lot of opinions believe it or not so strong beliefs they are tough critics they they will tell you straight up if they don't like something and they will you know i find it very interesting how many youtube comments we get that are like honey sweetheart all the, all this you know it's just like, that that cracks me up i'm like really you guys listen to true crime and like you have not learned not to say shit like that it's amazing thank you for listening um but i <laughs> but like i i like i feel like they are particularly hard nosed about the facts most of us who are into this spend a great deal of time digesting case files and raw source material. And if you get it wrong, they're going to tell you about it. They're going to tell you about it. I also think that we're, like the true crime fans are harder to get responses from to begin with. Like mm-hmm. anything. Like it's just now after we've been doing this for a while that we're now getting emails. We're now getting people on Twitter like giving us recommendations, good or bad reviews. You know what I mean? Like it's taken much longer than I would have anticipated to get any sort of response or feedback from people. Yeah. But I think that, definitely I think that might come with building an audience in general. <laughs> sure, yeah, definitely. But we, um, we just keep producing. We just produce and produce and produce religiously every week. And it has helped exponentially. I would say it sounds like it's paid off. So I kind of want to talk more about murder, which is weird coming from me. Shane, but, you're going to get hooked on it. I know. You're, you're going to get hooked. I, there's part of my conspiracy mind that latched onto this so quickly because there is a person who works on this case. His name is Steve Hoddle or Hodel. And he is convinced 
that his father is the murderer. That's like my favorite theory. I I, it's so it's good. Fun. It's so good. And he like has all these theories of like artwork that his father had commissioned uh, of, of women cut in half. So like, not only did he have the medical, he was a doctor, by the way, uh, Stephen's father was a doctor. So he had the medical ability to do this and it wasn't to disgrace her. It was to make her the art that she always wanted to be. Ugh. I know. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. But imagine it. like calling out your own dad. Okay. For sure. Yeah, no doubt. It's so it's it's really crazy. Um tying into a little bit a little bit more of the meta topic here, which is art crime, you know, or artist related crime. It's it's fascinating how many times in these stories of murder you hear like the person that did the murder is like trying to create something beautiful and interesting. I wonder at, if you guys have come across any instances of studies that talk about this, that talk about murderers or, you know, these particularly heinous murders being referred to as art or personally what you think that could mean, even if it's not really backed by science. No, we only want hard studies here. I'm just kidding. Hard facts. <laughs> uh, no, I feel like we've come across the opposite. We've come across a lot of people who want to destroy something beautiful. Vanessa Guillen comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, so just, a, just some of these women, honestly, and most of our victims are women because most victims are women. We do, we have covered male victims, but most of our, most, when you talk about murder, you're basically talking about ladies as murder victims. And some of these women are just, even in their photos, you're just like, wow, like stopped in your tracks. Like Jennifer Dulos. Jennifer Dulos, like just glowing. You can just tell that they're just an incredibly beautiful person and they are struck down for like for it. Or they're leading a beautiful life. Exactly. Not even if they're just pretty because they they were, but like not even just that. They had a beautiful family life. Like Suzanne Mm -hmm. Lyle, she was like doing her thing in college and she was just like a happy person. Like everyone. Just like a bright light. Yeah. And they're like literally cut down for it. Like you, you're not allowed to have that or like, I will never have that. And so I want to destroy that. We've also found that a lot of, not a lot, but enough of these murderers also like to think of themselves as artists in a way, whether it's the art of like the murder, like you said, or if they think that they're, you know, the next John legend or something. And you just, they absolutely have no business making a mixtape of their songs that they're singing at a child's playground. Like I can't take it. I can't. You, yeah. Shane, sometime when you're not super freaked out and, and weirded out by the source material, just go, just do maybe roll it back to the old straight up evil back catalog and listen to the Gainesville Ripper who was himself a, a guitar player and song, you know, songwriter. And it's just, uh, it just makes you want to, just break shit well it's like it's like hitler right like he was a failed artist Mm -hmm. and he went and murdered of you know a lot of jewish people and gay Mm -hmm. people and you know what i mean so it's like all we can be grateful for is that some of these people don't attain that type of power right Mm -hmm. maybe we should accept artists just in general. I would argue that um, people who are artists and are not allowed to be artists or uh, like, I, you know, maybe actors who cannot get work uh, come to mind are some of the angriest people that, that I know. Like people who are literally like door slammed in their face, can't do the thing that they want to do, or they're stifled by a parent who, who wants them to take a different path, or they're not accepted by their spouse for doing what they want, whatever it is. Uh, that, that's a recipe for disaster, for sure. What do you find the background of a lot of your sort of the murderers what do you like when you're doing this research is there a, is there a commonality you find 
So we have the McDonald triad that we always bring up, the head injury as a child, the bedwetting, the arson, that those are just through lines for people who commit violent crimes. They often hurt animals as like their first, their starter. Yeah, animal mutilation for sure. And they usually have a problem with their mother or or their father sometimes, but it but it's usually tied to mom in some way. They're controlling, they're perverts. Several (laughs) of them have been our victims of childhood sexual abuse. That's a real thing. And they're which is weird. It doesn't make sense in your mind that, that a lot of them go on to practice the same behaviors, but it's, it's a, it's like an imprinting process. They just believe they associate very young in just in the wrong way. And it seems like they don't correlate that that happening to them has put the into this negative situation. So they just kind of perpetuate it where you would hope or think that it would happen to them and then they would not want to continue that cycle. Yeah, like gen- like generally, I think it's fair to say, Carly, people who are self-aware don't typically commit murders, like very self-aware. Yeah. <laughs> like usually <laughs> there's some kind of, they're missing uh, it. But unfortunately it happens all too often. Mm-hmm. It's so bad. <laughs> it's really, it's common, man. It's common. So how do you decide who you're going to, who you're going to, what cases you're going to do? Is it just, hey, I like this. Let's do this. Pretty much. And oh, so, yeah. like, I just have thousands, you know, I have so many on my list, my personal list that I know that I've heard of, I've read, that I've seen, you know, I've heard on the podcast and I'm like, oh yes, that gotta cover that story. Yeah, definitely. And then if we've been lucky recently, we've had people reach out to us and say, hey, you know, we have an active uh, missing persons case that we would love for you to cover. Or, hey, you girls should really cover, you know, this, this case that's never been solved or still has a lot of mystery around it. You know, and we'll just like if we could just cover Jean Bonnet for the rest, like for all the episodes forever, I'm we pretty sure it. we would. We could, we could do it. Are there cliche murders that you steer away from? It was very hard for all three of us to do our last episode on Chris Watts. That yeah, was and we very... got some black for it on Twitter as well. Oh, yeah. We got, I mean, people, people it's a polarizing. Uh, topic and people really don't it's horrific you know it's anytime the whole family dies it's just it's absolutely awful but we it was hard for us to tell it but we did feel like we wanted to um because it happened and it happens a lot and it happens a lot but intimate partner homicides are, are yeah it happens. It really happens. Um, so we felt that it was important to tell it. But, you know, I really can't see us covering Ted Bundy. I can't see us covering John Wayne Gacy. I can't see us covering Charlie Manson. I, I feel like they're just, there's so much out there about them that we're not too worried about you not knowing who they are. And I think something I really love about what you do is you rattle off all of those names and, you know, they send that shiver of fear down your spine, but you listed off six women that were murdered by these people and maybe two rang a bell. And the fact that you are, you know, telling the story of the the victim and not the murderer, I think that just says a lot to you as people. We're trying. Yeah, yeah we're we trying. try our best. We try our best for sure. We're trying. You know, one of the main issues with Chris Watts is that the episode was called Chris Watts. And, you know, and we and they didn't feel like we maybe spent as much time with with the family as as we could have. But, yeah, it, it it's important. It's important. And Carly is particularly adept at telling the survivor stories, which are also super, super important. So interesting. It's so interesting to hear like where the potential murder goes wrong, right? Like it's so interesting to hear at what point everything could have gone the other way. And then even when um, I'm I'm spacing on on her name, the woman who got her arms cut. Mary Vincent. Mary Mary Vincent. Vincent. It's like, what was it about Mary Vincent? You know what I mean? That gave her the strength to walk miles naked with no arms. I mean, it, no it might actually help that she was naked probably, and she was cold, probably slowed her blood, uh, her her heart rate down to a point mm-hmm. where she didn't bleed out. 
it's a it, it is kind of fascinating to and, and you know i i go through binges where i can listen and then i have to not listen <laughs> for a mm-hmm. while because i'm just not i'm like okay i'm murdered out but uh but yeah it is it is nice to see the ones where you get a little bit of insight into like the inner workings of how 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 a survival story can even occur that's why i like covering um jason dugard as well because while she wasn't a survivor of having her limbs chopped off and like in the <laughs> desert naked at night she survived for 18 years in captivity with you know and had unbelievable children by her captor you know like it's just so fascinating like the whole point of true crime to me is fascinating that people can kill other people to begin with like i just can't fathom it so like learning about that is interesting but the survivor stories just really, really get me. And it's also really, to me, I'm such an anxious, worried person. I'm like, okay, what can I learn from this story that I may need later in life? Like what any tiny little tidbit can I remember that may help me one day? Yeah. And you are not the only women that I have had that conversation with who are into this very specific topic because they fear for their lives, because they recognize that they are the bulk of these people being murdered. So the way to avoid it is to learn about it. Yeah. And honestly, it helps my anxiety. Like you would think it would be the opposite effect. It would be like, I'd be scared of every little leaf blowing in the wind, which it's true. I am, <laughs> but it does help to think like it helps to know all the facts of all these crazy stories of what could happen. So mm-hmm. I can mentally prepare myself in case it ever would. Yeah. And just looking it, just looking it in the face. Is there's something to be said for that? So quickly, Jocelyn, you're also a performer, an actor. Uh, Shane and I have both had the privilege of working with you in the past. Aww. How much how much of what you're doing now, how much of, of that has prepared you for what you're doing now? Are they even related? Do you do you draw on any of those skills? Or do they inform any of your work since you've started? Acting, uh, I prefer to have a script 100% of the time and know exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. This show gives me the opportunity to step away from that a little bit. Don't get me wrong. We do a ton of research, but it's good to be able to just like be myself and talk about these things kind of in my own voice and, and uh like build confidence in doing that because with acting, it's like, well, oh, you didn't like the show. Well, I don't care because I didn't write it. So great. Like, you know, like I did, you like, you say the words that you get and then that's what you do. But I do, I feel more, I feel like I feel comfortable speaking and that definitely comes from acting. But um, this is just, this is a chance to be my, to be myself and like say this shit. And you know, that that's different than, than anything I've ever really done as far as acting or anything like that. In flipping that, Carly, since I know you are a prolific consumer of entertainment, all forms, books, movies, TV, stage, uh, what part of being an audience member primarily prepared or didn't prepare you for the podcasting process? I mean, in general, it was just very weird for me because I'm I'm very introverted. I'm not a performer. I I'm not that type of person normally, so it was weird for me to be comfortable doing this. Um, but because I, like you said, like I am always the audience member, I kind of knew like, well, if I was listening, this is what I would want to hear, or this is what I would be thinking, or this is what I would where I would want the conversation to go. So in that respect, it's helped me, you know know what kind of direction that at least on my part I want to go in um but all in all it is actually very surprising to me that I am so comfortable doing it you were always you have always been the person to me that I have been surprised that you haven't been on stage (laughs) she's literally the best host she is like after we did okay, season one no, before with like no. before we did before we even started YouTube when we did season one literally at the end of season one I was like so Carly I think that you should lead every single episode and Katie and I will just like fill it in like I'll like I'll script my parts and do my part of research and Katie will just come in with that redhead flair and just throw down and say what she's got to say and like and contribute and Carly was like you're so funny 
go back to doing what we were doing. Like, no. no, she would not. But she is. She's the best host without question. She's also the best friend. She has to say that. No, it is not. <laughs> it's actually not. And she really, yeah, she's the best. She's the best. She's the best uh, narrator of any of us. She is. Mm-hmm. Hey, well, thank you. I disagree, but thank you very much. You don't get to disagree. I yeah, I do. Uh, I listened to you read that whole thing in the beginning of this session, and I was enthralled. Thank you. Like oh, soothing. You. She's like soothing, being like setting the stage. Like I love it. Talking about my radio voice. Carly? Okay. <laughs> totally different. 110%. All right. Do you want to flip the script on us? Do you do you want to ask active listeners uh, a question so we're not putting you on the spot? Yeah, we yeah. got in on your game. Why don't you get in on ours? What's your favorite unsolved murder? That was my question. I need to know what they need, which case they need solved. That's what we need. Mm-hmm. We need to know. And I want to know what they're doing to help solve it because we're doing our part. True. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, honestly, just, just because of my ignorance on the topic, I don't think I have a favorite unsolved murder. I mean, because honestly, it would be really cliche to say like, Black Dahlia or Zodiac Killer, you know what I mean? And I'm just not in the world steeped in it enough to have that kind of opinion. I will say though, my favorite kind of mysteries uh, or murder mysteries, my favorite kind of unsolved cases, and it's kind of macabre to even say that phrase, my favorite kind of unsolved cases. But my favorite kind of unsolved cases- Welcome to Straight Up Evil, Mike Lake. (laughs) Are are like the ones like today where where it's it's a little interactive, you know. Uh, you as a as a as a listener or as someone that's opining over the case can have a slew of different theories and talk with other people about your theories. Just because for me per- personally, as like a creative a creative person, an artist it's a little bit of like fuel, right? You know what I mean? Like different creative situations, or at least as a performer, as an art actor, hearing about these cases kind of helps me get into the mindset of even having to interact with that type of world on a stage or in a screen or, you know, wherever. Yeah, kind of in a similar vein, I have played murderers on stage before. So I've sort of dived into some of this material before for that sort of actor fuel, but I definitely don't have a, a favorite unsolved murder, but I do have a favorite murdery trope and it's like the killer clown and not because of the it movies. I honestly think that it movies have kind of ruined it, but like a clown in the middle of a cornfield, that's like the scariest shit I can think of. Exactly. So Diamond Gacy is basically what you're saying, because it's not unsolved, but that was what he was. I don't ever want to be murdered, but if I have to be, (laughs) I think I want it to be done by a clown. That's great, Shane. You would. You have a question for us, Carly? (laughs) Well, technically, that was my question. Um, Jocelyn just straight up stole it. So you're so yeah, but like okay. So what about just un, a favorite unsolved mystery? Like if I don't like something that's tied maybe to murders or where something as people have died, but we don't really know what's going on. Like I love the Bermuda Triangle. Do you have Ooh, something yeah. like that that's like just a just mm. a topic of speculation? I mean, other than aliens, because we all have questions about aliens, but like it's some kind of mystery that like you wish you could see solved. I mean, I am super into cryptozoology. Like I love yeah. me some Bigfoots and the Jersey the Devil, Devil Snowman, Jersey the Jersey Devil. Devil, the Loch Ness, the Loch Ness thing that's in the Michigan Lake. All of that. Like, yes, please. I want humanoids and crazy, oh, like leprechauns. There are some awesome videos of leprechauns. I don't care what anyone says. They're real and I love them. I've never seen an awesome video of leprechauns, so you better send me one. I am going to send you the best one. And there's a baby in it and it's so creepy. I had to refresh my memory. And my favorite unsolved mystery is, isn't a disappearance. It's an appearance. And in 1954, 
a man in like a really nice suit turned up at the Haneda airport in Tokyo. And he makes his way through customs. But when he presents his passport, it's for a country that doesn't exist. It's for a country named Torrid. I remember this. And so this guy shows up and he's, he's from a country that doesn't exist and can't find it on a map where it should exist. You know, it's a very, and it does get more interesting. He's able to like tell very, very elaborate story about this place he's from and his family and the government there and the person that's the president or the premier or whatever. And like, they can't find this country. They have no clue where this man came. He literally appears out of nowhere to this day. No one knows where he came from. I'm not sure whatever happened to him, how, you know, what, what became of him, but I I think he he mysteriously disappeared afterwards. If I'm remembering. Yeah. So he's on lockdown. And then he just like poof is gone in like TSA or whatever, you know, 1940s TSA is <laughs> sure <laughs> disappears, gone, completely gone. So, yeah, I think that's my favorite unsolved mystery. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. And the Mandela effect. I mean, if we're going to oh, talk craziness. Man. Oh, I mean, <laughs> Michael and I have had so many hour long hours of conversation just about this particular thing like oh for years we've talked about this and every time we come up with something we're like oh and Del effect again and michael's like chill like chill out it's not <laughs> necessarily i'm like yes it, it is everything but it's a lot of things well this is great this is fun so thank you so much to jocelyn to carly to uh katie, straight up she is katie, the, the ghost of katie coming on out and Yeah, so we do a thing at the end of our show where we do all the plugs for the socials. So why don't you guys start? Why don't you plug all your things? Okay. Okay. Uh, Straight underscore up underscore pod. Follow us. Yeah. Tweet at me. Everything. You can find us on Facebook, Straight Up Evil Podcast. You can find our website, straightupevilpodcast.com, where you can find all of the things. You can send us the straight up email at straightupevil at gmail.com for all the suggestions. Uh, we would love it if you would check out the show and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help people hear our podcast. And uh, if you really want to be a true hero after you do all of those things, uh, please check out the Charlie Project and look look up your state and find out who is missing there and just, just scroll right through those pictures and see if you recognize anybody or if you happen to be in the same place, same day. Uh, it's amazing. It just takes one person and, and that's how you find people. Great. Great. Thank you so much. And well, our audience knows where to catch us. You can catch us on Twitter at act list pod or on Facebook at active listeners podcast. We tend to end our episodes with an audience participation. uh, And considering you are our guests, we were thinking uh, that you uh, could have our audience participate in something. If our audiences were to leave comments on our Facebooks and on our Twitters and all of that, what what would you ask them? What would you want? I have a feeling that a lot of you out there who listen to active listeners podcasts and straight up evil have some, have some cases that you would like solved or some mysteries that you would like solved. So I would say to share those that to, to, to check the recesses of your mind for the man in Tokyo in 1954 or whatever the hell interests you the most, which I'm totally, I have to go because I have to go Google that now. So thank you. All right, you heard them. You want to go ahead and on either of our pages, really, go ahead and drop your favorite mysteries. And also, shameless plug, please join the Active Listeners Podcast Patreon. Uh, More shows like this one coming at you. Uh, It's the best way to stay clued in into what's going on. And with all that, please hit up our pages and join in on the conversation. Peace. Peace.
If you like what you hear, leave us a rating. And if you really like what you hear and you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash active listeners pod and become a patron. Our theme music, It's a Trap, was created by Remodel. Thanks for listening.